everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 31. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on November 25. Let's talk tech. My first headline for this week um, is Wanted, the perfect babysitter must pass AI scan for respect and attitude, published in the Washington Post on November 23. Machine learning tools are beginning to impact our lives in big ways without us taking a moment to think through the limitations of such tools or the potential consequences. And frankly, I find it really scary, and this article is definitely worth a read. It describes new software tools, services, Um, that are driven by machine learning to improve the screening of potential employees, in this case, babysitters. So according to this article, parents are increasingly turning to online services like Predictum to make choices about babysitters. This service leverages, quote unquote, artificial intelligence um, to screen social media activity of prospective babysitters to generate an automated risk rating. Babysitters are assessed for their risk of negative behaviors such as drug abuse, violence, bullying, and harassment. So a couple of things about the system as described in the article. It's a black box. It spits out a number, but it doesn't explain how it produces ratings. And this is a big problem with machine learning tools um, is that we, we don't know how they're making their decisions. And so we can't determine... Um, whether or not they are working as advertised. And um, so this article talks about parents who previously thought their babysitter was trustworthy, but began to have doubts when the risk assessment score came back as a two instead of a perfect one. So as humans, we make our decisions about people and their personalities and their trustworthiness based on a gut instinct. In fact, it happens within seconds of meeting that person for the first time. Um... But now we're going to uh, outsource this uh, gut instinct, which has served us very well, um, to tools um, that are based on data. So this particular system is based on the concept that social media shows a person's character. I can imagine a future system also analyzing a person's Google searches, in which case I and other all fiction writers are doomed if my Google searches were analyzed to determine my risk for violence, I'm afraid that score would come back pretty high, seeing as I'm looking for scenarios to cause violence constantly. So this this system is problematic on so many levels. Um, For one, it makes me really angry that these companies are um, capitalizing on parents' fear Um, proposing that they have this tool to solve all of their problems and fears about getting a bad babysitter and something terrible happening to their kids. And unfortunately for us is we tend to put trust into computer software tools more than we do human instinct. And this is problematic if the tool is flawed. And I've never met a computer software that wasn't flawed. But we have a tendency to subscribe, ascribe um, more trust to a computer than we do humans. Unlike your standard computer software, um, humans don't program the rules for machine learning tools. 
machine learning tool determines rules based on patterns of data. So in this case, we're talking social media posts over the lifetime of a user. So here's a question. How many of us are actually honest on social media? Like 100% authentic. Platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter lend themselves to the creation of online personas, designer versions of our true selves. Are the images we portray to the public for consumption actually the full truth? And if the, that data alone is determining our character, I, I, I mean, it makes me not want to post at all anymore. I mean, what, what does me posting a picture of my dinner tell anything about my character? Another question is, how well can these tools determine the context for social media posts? Can they decipher between sarcastic and serious posts? How do these tools distinguish between things that people actually say and what articles or people they may be quoting? And I am not willing to trust a machine learning tool at this particular juncture to make that kind of dis distinction. And that's a really important distinction. And if we're going to be using these tools to make decisions about um, hiring, it's incredibly important that we get this right. And, and we're seeing companies go out and, and make promises of some magical solution. And it, it's not magical. In fact, it is um, rotting our society from within. So um, according to this article, the technology, this type of technology is shaping how some companies approach recruiting hiring and reviewing workers, offering employers an unrivaled look at job candidates through a new wave of invasive psychological assessment and surveillance. Um, my second headline, same theme, China blacklists millions of people from booking flights as social credit system introduced, published on The Independent on November 23. I've talked about such headlines before. Many of you know that China plans to fully implement its social credit system by 2020. This system tracks the behavior of citizens based on their data and evaluates them for trustworthiness, which is determined by the behaviors that, gov that the government wishes to encourage or discourage. Citizens with low scores will be denied access to travel, high-speed internet, good schools, jobs, hotels, even the right to own pets. Um, this gives a government incredible control over their human population. And, and remember, it's not just the data, it's what the government decides is behavior that they want to encourage. So think about all of our First Amendment uh, freedoms in this country and how they could quickly disappear. You might breathe a sigh of relief uh, that at least you don't live in China. Most democracies have resisted the pull of monitoring technologies in the name of protecting privacy, but have we? If our data trail is not being funneled to our government, then to whom are we giving power? If companies are using social media posts to determine the risk assessments for babysitters and then selling the software to parents, to whom are we giving power and do we trust them to do the right thing? All right, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, Rob, Lara, and Vic went to check out Linda's apartment, but they just missed her. Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 31, For Hire. Climbing the steps to her townhouse, Lars' stomach growled angrily and her body ached. Every bone in her body screamed for her to lie down. She felt as if she hadn't eaten or slept in days. The antibiotics were doing their job, but the symptoms of the plague still lingered. She'd spent the afternoon at the police station going over the, a list of suspects and evidence with Sanchez, 
While she and the detective both agreed that Stepanoff and Linda were the most likely suspects for Sully's murder, they disagreed vehemently on Anita's involvement in Fiddler's Beetle plot. For some reason, the detective remained stuck on the notion that Anita was no good, convinced she was behind the leak at the NSA. Lara glanced at the stack of mail on the floor of the hallway. There were several new past-due notices. She sighed heavily, tucking them under her arm as she climbed the stairs to the second floor. When she reached her apartment door, an envelope taped near the keyhole made her cringe, but the sticky note from Vic made her stomach drop. Received this from Jake while you were out. We need to talk. Crap. It was a letter from Jake Crawford, her landlord. That can't be good news. This was not how she wanted Vic to find out the truth about their living situation. It wouldn't be easy for him to forgive her dishonesty. They'd grown close when Rob had left her. Vic had been such a good friend. Lara couldn't justify keeping such a big secret from him, personally or professionally, but there never seemed to be a good time to come clean. She walked into her apartment, her hands shaking, and ripped open the envelope. At the top of the official letter, in bold red ink, were the words, Writ of Eviction. She skimmed the notice, her heart pounding in her ears. Lara had failed to pay the past due rent within the 30-day time frame and missed the court hearing that took place when she was in the hospital. For this reason, the judge had issued Jake a writ of eviction, giving him the right to call the U.S. Marshal's office to remove her from the premises. The envelope also contained a handwritten note from Jake saying that he would give her one more week to pay the outstanding rent, fees, and court costs in cash or by certified check. Lars stuffed the letter in her pocket put the rest of the mail on the console in the hallway, and hung her leather jacket on a hook next to the door. From the moment she turned around and surveyed the apartment, she knew something was amiss. Her instincts fired on all cylinders. The living room remained almost exactly how she left it. Almost, but not quite. A chair was moved ever so slightly toward the couch, and someone had shuffled through the magazines on the end table. The November issue of Wired lay on top of the pile, and she remembered having it at the hospital. When she packed everything up to come home, she couldn't find it anymore. How did this get here? Did Vic bring it back? She opened the magazine and eagerly flipped through the pages, looking for her case notes, but they were missing. She checked the floor to see if the notes fell out. Instead, she spotted a small piece of paper peeking out from under a chair. She bent down and pulled it out of its hiding spot. The handwriting was familiar. It was the note from Sully's lawyer. She remembered sticking the paper, along with her notes, in the magazine. Lara turned the paper over in her hands, studying it for a moment, before a soft thump in the other room startled her. Stuffing the paper in her pocket and drawing her gun, she walked the hall toward her bedroom, only to find no one. Lara went from room to room. Sure, she had heard someone, but nothing was out of place. The apartment was empty. There weren't any obvious signs of theft. Just small things here and there caught her attention as being a little off. Who was here and what did they want? She inspected each of the windows to make sure they were secure. Whoever it was didn't want me to notice they'd been here. In the kitchen, a draft of cold air from a crack in the window made her shiver. The light of early evening sun poured into the room, counterbalancing the creepy feeling in her gut. Am I imagining things? Glancing at the floor, Lara spotted a pen. 
She looked back at the window. Was that the sound I heard? A pen rolling on the floor? She strode over to the window above the kitchen sink, which overlooked a fire escape that ran down the back of the building. Did someone climb in the apartment through the window again? She saw no evidence of an intruder in the alley. Maybe I'm being paranoid. She looked back at the pen and shook her head. As she closed the window and locked it, her arm brushed against a strange-looking potted plant sitting beside the sink. It had been hidden behind her dish detergent, out of the way, small enough to escape notice. Now that doesn't belong here. Lar picked up the small and intricate plant and examined it carefully. Given its delicate shape and its bark footing, she knew it must be some sort of bonsai tree. It was an odd thing for an intruder to leave behind. A welcome home gift? Somebody broke into my apartment to leave me a potted tree? She set the small tree on the kitchen table, put her gun in the back of her pants, snapped a picture of the tree, and spoke into her smartphone. Watson, could you identify this tree for me? The screen lit up with a familiar face. Of course, Miss Kingsley, I'd be delighted to do so, Watson said. She was pretty sure the culprit was Fiddler. Lara stared at the tree, searching for answers. But why? What clue is he tantalizing me with? The tree was planted in a blue, hand-thrown, flat-based ceramic pot. The varied color of the bark and the thin, pointy leaves reminded her of the time she'd spent in Northern California on a military assignment. Leaning closer to it, she detected a funny smell, like a cough drop. Watson sprang to life on her phone. I've identified the tree as a bonsai eucalyptus tree, which is native to Australia and grown locally. I found an exact match to your picture on this bonsai website. A eucalyptus tree. She read through the online profile. Okay, this is definitely Fiddler. What is he trying to tell me? Rob had been unable to find definitive evidence of Fiddler's trip to Australia. Was Fiddler trying to make her doubt Maggie? I won't make that mistake again. On closer inspection, Lara spotted a tiny crack between the foot and the body of the pot that didn't seem to be intentional on the part of the potter. She got up from the table and found a knife in the kitchen drawer. Lara stuck the blade into the crack and pressed downwards. The gap widened, and the foot broke off. Inside the foot, she found a high-tech surveillance bug. At least he didn't send me another beetle. She paused for a moment, wondering if Fiddler was there, listening on the other end. Ever since she'd spoken to Ashton, posing as Fiddler at the Basilica, she couldn't get his offer of $100,000 out of her mind. Given her dire financial situation, the money would be a godsend. But at what price? Her conscience gnawed at her. She didn't believe Fiddler killed Sully. She was also convinced that getting close to Fiddler would get her closer to discovering Cybershop's true identity. But she worried about what Fiddler was really up to, what his endgame was, and of course, his mental state. For most of her life, Lara had always tried to do the right thing. This sentiment had driven her to join the military and serve her country in the first place. But for what? When push came to shove, even the U.S. government didn't have her back. Even in a, dem in a democracy built on equal rights for all, the world consisted of two groups of people, rule makers and rule followers. Rule makers did whatever they damn well pleased and were rarely held accountable for their actions. Rule followers didn't question things for the most part. They were content as long as peace reigned on their home turf. Reaching out to Fiddler was risky, but at this point, she'd run out of good ideas. She needed to learn the details of his plans for the Beatles. Fiddler also knew something about Sully's killer. 
At the church impersonating Fiddler, Ashton claimed to have met Cybershop. Could Fiddler identify Cybershop from a lineup? Lara leaned toward the bug and whispered, Is your offer still on the table? She waited for a few minutes, but nothing happened. Lara laid the flat end of a knife against the bug, ready to crunch it into pieces, when a high-pitched noise erupted from the small device. Yes, it is. A cold, smooth voice responded. A two-way transmitter? Lara nearly fell off her chair from shock. Am I finally speaking with John Fiddler? A moment of silence followed, long enough to make Lara wonder if she had imagined the words. Yes, the voice hissed. How do I know it's really you this time? You thought I didn't see you outside the cafe, the voice paused. But I did. You were wearing the glasses I gave your assistant. Lara froze, a chill traveling through her core, making her hair stand on end. Fiddler knew I was there. He was tracking my every move. She closed her eyes, wishing she'd asked Vic to get rid of the digi-specs. Did he hack into the glasses after Vic debugged them? Did you like my little beetle swarm? The voice hissed again. I warned you not to involve my daughter. It was only fair to punish you for your disobedience. You don't like following instructions, do you? She ignored the nasty quip. Your daughter is involved whether you like it or not. The authorities are closing in on her as Stepanoff's and Linda's accomplice. They think they have evidence of her complicity, and her leaving town has put a huge target on her back. Help me prove them wrong. The silence on the other end of the transmitter was deafening. After a few seconds, a click was followed by heavy breathing. Why did you pay the drone deposit and then renege on the deal? Lara asked. It was to offer the NSA evidence of Anita's innocence, wasn't it? Come work for me and find out, Fiddler hissed. Lara said nothing for a few seconds as a slight tremor passed through her body. I know what you're planning with those beetles. Oh, do you now? Fiddler's voice sounded pleased. And you've already helped me so much with that plan. After I sent my swarm to attack you, I was able to calibrate the software for my next attack. And now you're interested in helping me with the next steps? That tickles me to no end, Lara. It makes me so happy. Lara's pulse raced, the sound of her heartbeat thrashing in her ears. Her clammy hands were a stark contrast to the sweat beating on her forehead. Who am I fooling? This is a bad idea. Without hesitation, she grabbed the knife and crushed the transmitter. With one last squeak, it was disabled. Lara gazed with uncertainty at the smashed metal on the table. He won't tell me who Sobershop is now. And the thought of meeting him in person made her hair stand on end. Her instincts had screamed at her to disconnect. Fiddler might be able to help her with information, but it wasn't worth the cost. That's a definite no-go. She exhaled a breath of relief. She'd solve Sully's murder on her own. After sitting in silence for an hour, Lara realized she'd forgotten to pick up her motorcycle at Sully's townhouse. As she got ready to leave, she found the business card for Space Saver self-storage and the key in her pocket of her leather jacket. In all the excitement of chasing Linda Maxwell, she'd forgotten to check out the storage company that might hold all of Sully's files. Better late than never. Before leaving the apartment, Lara checked all the windows again to make sure they were secure and locked the front door. On the steps outside her townhouse, she called a go-go driverless cab and waited on the sidewalk next to the empty spot where her bike usually stood. A large, unmarked white van sat across the street. Are the contractors still working? Straining her ears, she could hear the thump of hammers on the first floor through one of the new windows. The contractors had repainted the brick facade of the ugly dull, an ugly dull brown. 
The prospect of moving into a new place brought a sigh to Lara's lips, but with the break-ins and the arson, part of her wondered if it would be for the best. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.